hear the call of the ravaged land, the raucous cry of famished earth. Here, oh here, stunted crops fast decay, fishes die and float away, butterflies lose wing and fall. Nita succumbs to the ecological war. In early January of 1993, 300,000 Ogoni people marched to their traditional capital city in the Niger Delta to protest against Royal Dutch Shell. From today onwards, Shell is declared persona non grata in Ogoni. For nearly four decades, Shell had been drilling in Ogoni land, a region in southern Nigeria. And their operations had caused widespread and devastating pollution. By the early 90s, the Ogoni people were fed up. They demanded that Shell stop drilling and clean up their land. But their protest attracted the attention of Nigeria's brutal dictatorship, hell-bent on silencing anyone who threatened to stop the flow of oil. From Gimlet Media, this is Not Past It, a show about the stories we can't quite leave behind. Every episode, we take a moment from that very same week in history and tell you the story of how it shaped our world. I'm Simone Polanin. In November of 1995, 26 years ago this month, the plight of the Ogoni people finally captured the world's attention. The demonstrators from Lagos to London grieved the atrocities taking place in Nigeria. Today on the show, a David and Goliath story about how one community led by a charismatic leader took on a dictator, his ruthless right-hand man, and one of the biggest oil companies in the world. That's coming up. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The Agoni had inherited a precious part of God's earth 
and did everything to preserve it. The rich plateau soil provided agriculture plenty and the rivers which washed the borders of the entire area brimmed with fishes and seafood. These are the words of author and political journalist Ken Sarawiwa. Ken is no longer with us, so we asked the actor, Benga Akinabe, to read some of his writing, which you'll hear throughout the episode. Ken grew up the son of a chief in Ogoniland. Ogoniland is a kingdom in the river state of Nigeria and spans about 600 square miles along the country's southern coast. When Ken was growing up, the area was home to roughly half a million people. It was a lush, green, fertile land with meandering rivers, oxbow lakes, and thick mangroves full of life. The Agoni seized the opportunity to become competent farmers and fishermen and transform their territory into the food basket of the entire eastern Niger Delta. People would come from all over Nigeria to purchase Ogoni agricultural products, things like palm oil or gari, a type of flour. The Ogoni people worshipped their land, nurtured it, and in turn built a way of life around its abundance. A way of life that was threatened by the arrival of a multinational oil company in 1958. That year, the British imperialist government welcomed Royal Dutch Shell into the region. Turns out, Nigeria was sitting on top of one of the largest reserves of petroleum in all of Africa. Shell started exploring and drilling, and without political power, the Agoni had no say in what happened to their land. Pretty soon, their lush greenery and dense riverbanks stood transformed by oil wells and pipelines. In the evening, there was this orange glow all over the place due to the gas flaring that was going on 24 hours a day and has been going on in very close proximity to people's homes. This is Owens Wiwa. Ken's brother. He's a doctor, and during the late 80s and early 90s, he was treating patients in Ogoni land. In his practice, he was seeing the effects of not only gas flares, but thousands of oil spills caused by Shell's aging infrastructure. I knew that there is a problem in an oil well, but the type of patients I'm seeing and where they're coming from. Either there's an outbreak, if I can call it that, of respiratory diseases, or people just come with different rashes all over their body. Owens's patients were suffering the effects of the oil that was saturating their land. Respiratory disease, kidney damage, diabetes, premature births, cancer. The oil spills weren't just poisoning Ogoni bodies. They were poisoning Ogoni land and water. If you caught a fish, its gills might be black. If you dug into the soil, you quickly reached oil. Crop yields dropped dramatically, both in size and in nutritional value. So you can't farm, you can't fish. When you don't eat well, it's starvation. I can die of starvation. So basically, the community was dying. The people in the community were dying. Owens's brother, Ken, 
was growing increasingly distraught. We are faced with a situation where we have no food to eat, no water to drink, no homes to live, and worst of all, no air to breathe. At the same time that his brother was seeing very ill patients, Ken was turning to activism. He'd been a Renaissance man of sorts, a writer, a publisher, even a TV producer for one of Nigeria's most famous sitcoms. But he set that all aside to focus on one mission, restoring Ogoni land. There is a fire in me. Burns all night and day. Flares at injustice. Leaps at oppression. Glows warmly in beauty. Ken started to write and talk about the destruction of his homeland in more severe terms. What Shell was doing and what the government was facilitating wasn't just destroying the Ogoni environment. He insisted... It was genocide against the Ogoni people. He spoke about this in a speech he gave to a crowd of Ogoni residents. Indigenous people have been cheated through laws such as are operated in Nigeria today. Through political marginalization, they have driven certain people to death. In recovering the money that has been stolen from us, I do not want any blood spilt. We are going to demand our rights peacefully, non-violently, and we shall win. Ken, along with other Ogoni activists, put these ideas down in the Ogoni Bill of Rights in 1990, asserting the Ogoni's demands for political autonomy. That same year, Ken and other Ogoni activists formed an organization called the Movement for the Survival of the Ogoni People or MOSOP for short. MOSOP is marching on. Ogoni must survive. MOSOP will never stop till Ogoni is free. MOSOP keeps marching on. MOSOP is an arm of peace. Ken called on the Ogoni people to keep marching on. In January of 1993, Ken organized and led the massive demonstration we told you about at the top of the show, with his brother Owens at his side. Many of the people you saw there have trekked for 12 miles, starting from about, you know, 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning. And these were ordinary men and women from the villages. Owens and Ken were expecting a fairly decent turnout, maybe three or 4,000 people. But on the day of the march, 300,000 protesters showed up, two-thirds of the entire Ogoni population. The brothers were stunned. The people have thrown away the fear that they had, the fear of share, by people who were coming to assert their right for a good environment. But the people who were coming to say, look, you cannot continue to poison our land. 
poison our air and poison our water and drained life away from us. Here's Ken reflecting on that day. It was wonderful to see people who had uh, been docile for so long. It was good to see fear uh, no longer a part of them. And on that day, when I saw the large number of people streaming into Bori from their various villages, I really felt a sense of fulfillment. I, if I had died the day after that, I would have died a very happy man indeed. The protest was a success. Over the course of the next several months, Shell pulled their employees out of Agoni land. Eventually, they stopped drilling entirely. It was a huge step. But the land was still blighted. There were no reparations in sight. The Ogoni people were still hurting. The fight was very much not over, especially not for Ken. He felt very much that he was an Ogoni man. This is Na Sarawiwa, Ken's daughter. He didn't think in terms of being an individual. He had that very kind of traditional African mentality, which is that you don't exist alone as an individual. You are your community. And so if your community is suffering, then you are suffering. If your community dies, then you die. Ken devoted himself to his community's cause. But as he told his daughter in a letter, he knew he was taking a huge risk. He said that they could kill him because of the campaign he'd started. And I remember being quite angry with him at the time because I felt that he was scaremongering. But Ken was being honest. He'd kicked the hornet's nest and he knew. They were coming for him. Stingers first. That's after the break. The genocide of the Ogoni had taken a new dimension. The manner of it, I will narrate in my next book, if I live to tell the tale. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cashback rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. 
running for the finish line, and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. Before the break, Ken Sarawiwa led the Ogoni people in protest over the state of their polluted homeland. And it seemed like his efforts were working. Shell had pulled out of Ogoni land. But Ken had a big problem. The dictatorship that controlled Nigeria wanted Shell to keep drilling. And they were scared the protests in Ogoni land would inspire other suffering communities in the Niger Delta to rise up too. In November of 1993, a new dictator seized power in a coup. And this new dictator brought on an enforcer. And this is where we need to introduce the arch-villain of this story, a guy by the name of Paulo Kuntimo. He's a lieutenant colonel in the Nigerian SSS, and he is a terrifying individual. This is Roy Doran, an assistant professor of history at Winston-Salem University and co-author of a biography about Ken Sarawiwa. The new dictator gave Okuntimo an assignment to deal with the Ogoni. And he did. He ordered nightly raids into Ogoni villages. His soldiers detained people and tortured them, raped women and girls, and killed hundreds. Okuntimo even held meetings with Ogoni leadership, warning them the violence would continue if they didn't stop protesting. At one meeting, he reportedly boasted about having learned 204 ways to kill a person. But Owens Wiwa says the protest movement wouldn't be so easily intimidated. So what they did was to repeat the cycle of violence to intimidate us, you know, to stop the protest. But the more violence they brought, the more people protested. Even if the Nigerian government were to bring a gun from with policemen or army to shoot us while we are protesting, if they shoot 10 people today, tomorrow 20 more people will come out. The violence that Okuntimo was orchestrating, he wasn't just acting on behalf of the Nigerian government. He was also acting on behalf of Shell. On several occasions, Shell requested the military's assistance to deal with protests, knowing full well the violence they were capable of. Plus, there's substantial evidence that Okuntimo was being paid by Shell directly. According to a New York Times special report, the company was also transporting and paying the salary bonuses of some of the soldiers who were carrying out Okuntimo's attacks. Shell made it clear they wanted the protests to stop, which meant essentially stopping one man, Ken Sarawiwa. Finally, they got their chance in the spring of 1994. Ken was on his way to a political rally at an Agoni palace, but the military wouldn't let him in. Supposedly, Sarawiwa supporters got mad that Sarawiwa was not able to attend this meeting, this rally, and they got so mad that they just stormed the palace and beat these four people to death. 
that's the story that's told. The government blamed the violence on Ken. They fabricated this story that Ken and his supporters had planned the murder of these four people, all of them Ogoni chiefs who'd been critical of Mosop. The next day, the Nigerian police showed up at Ken's door and arrested him. His brother, Owens, heard about it soon after. I got a call that my brother has been arrested in his house. I said, why would he be arrested in his house? I said, oh, that Father Chase died and that he was responsible. The government arrested a dozen other Ogoni activists, blaming all of them for the four murders. When Owens found out there was a warrant out for his arrest, he fled to safety. But other family members weren't so lucky. The military beat Ken's wife, his sister-in-law, even his aging mother. When Ken's family protested, Okuntimo arrested two of his half-brothers. I lie manacled in chain, in caves of your callous care. But the day will come when I will break your hard bones. With my claws, tear your brain. Consume you in wrathful fires. To the wild winds expose you. Paint the cruel marks of your sin on the walls of history. Ken and the other Ogoni activists were held for more than a year without sufficient access to legal representation or medical care. While Ken was in prison, Owens arranged a meeting with the chairman of Shell, asking him to help get his brother out of prison. Instead, the chairman told Owens he would help only if certain conditions were met. He asked me to write a press statement that there is no environmental devastation in the land before he would help me. And also make sure that the protest against Shell around the world stops. Owens wrote to Ken of Shell's request. Ken wrote back, he would only call off the protests if Shell stopped polluting, started cleaning up the land, and made sure there was freedom for those detained. But the chairman of Shell sat on his hands. And of course, he, he did not act uh, because I think they preferred my brother to die. They preferred his brother to die. Eventually, Ken and eight of the activists were charged, some with murder, others with incitement to murder. The military dictatorship, under the leadership of Sani Abacha, set up a special tribunal. Okuntimo is always there at the trial. And he is such a fearsome individual that, of course, no one is going to contradict him because they see what happens to anyone that attempts to go against Abacha's regime. At the end of October of 1995, a verdict was handed down. The nine Ogoni activists were sentenced to death. Ken wrote a statement for the sentencing hearing. He was never allowed to read it. I predict that the scene here will be played and replayed by generations yet unborn. Some have already cast themselves in the role of villains. 
Some are tragic victims. Some still have a chance to redeem themselves. The choice is for each individual. When the announcement was made that the Ogoni Nine had been sentenced to death, it sparked international outrage. Governments from around the world are denouncing action taken by Nigeria's military government. At the center of the controversy, nine political activists, whether the government of this oil-rich West African nation bows to international appeals, may determine whether these men live or die. Demonstrators held candlelight vigils in Ken's name. Greenpeace and other organizations criticized Shell for their inaction and put pressure on them to voice their opposition. But Shell dragged their feet. They said it would be dangerous and wrong for them to intervene and to use the company's perceived influence to have the judgment overturned. Public pressure didn't let up. And eventually, after being silent during the entirety of Ken's trial, one executive in charge of Shell's Nigerian operations sent a personal letter to the dictator asking the death sentence to be commuted. Just one letter. But nothing came of it. I am not careless of my safety, but I do recognize and have always recognized that my cause could lead to death. But as the saying goes, how can man die better than facing fearful odds for the ashes of his forefathers and the temples of his gods? On November 10th, 1995, Ken and the rest of the Ogoni Nine were hanged. Human rights activists mourned in London and other European capitals today, condemning yesterday's executions of writer and environmentalist Ken Sarawiwa and eight other Nigerian dissidents. The nine executed activists were from an oil-producing area in southwestern Nigeria. They had been charged with murder and sentenced after what some people called a sham trial. Ken's daughter, Na, who was a teenager at the time, found out what happened that afternoon. My mother told me, and then I also then saw it in, in the newspapers the following morning. I was just, I was really, I was shocked, I was crying. It was very surreal because I didn't consider my father a famous person. And so it was just very strange because it was reported everywhere. But you couldn't see his body or anything so it was shocking, and it's still shocking, you know, 25 years on. After the execution, Owens and his family fled to Canada. It would be four years before he made it back to Nigeria to mourn his brother. It took me a long time until I went back to Nigeria and actually saw his ring and his watch to believe that what has happened had happened. Where was justice? Where was fairness? Where was God? So I an innocent man to be killed in that manner. It still doesn't make sense to me today. In response to Ken's murder, 
many world leaders, including in the United States, called for economic sanctions, bans on arms sales, and rules prohibiting any new investment in Nigeria. The United States halted military sales to Nigeria's dictatorship and joined several other Western nations in calling home its ambassador. But world outrage stopped short of taking the strongest step, imposing an oil embargo. An oil embargo was the one thing that would have made a difference. But no one stepped up, because any government that could have followed through on that threat was, and still is, dependent on Nigeria's oil. All tyrants know that, in a way, they have the upper hand because they have no sense of morality. They all know that they can do things and say things that the world would be outraged at, but that ultimately money is the the most important thing, that natural resources are the most important thing. People will put aside their moral outrage. Governments will put aside their moral outrage in order to access that oil. As long as governments keep letting the oil industry get its way, giving them billions of dollars in subsidies and allowing them to lobby against any substantial regulations, we're going to stay in this vicious cycle. A cycle where we turn our eyes away from our polluted environment, a warming world, and the people who are dying because of it. It's the way of the world, really. It's, uh, you know, how, how do we break that, that, that stranglehold? How, how do you give agency to the little people on the ground? You know, despite everything that happened to my father, it was, you know, the things that he wanted for the Niger Delta, they haven't happened yet, but things are starting to change. Just this year, two legal victories were ruled in favor of Nigerian farmers. The first ordered the Nigerian subsidiary of Shell to compensate farmers for damages to their land. The second ruled that in some circumstances, communities who were harmed by Shell can sue Shell directly, which gives them a better chance of forcing the company to clean up the environment. And the Ogoni resistance has inspired other communities to speak out too. In virtually every nation state, there are several Ogonis, despairing and disappearing people suffering the yokes of political marginalization, economic strangulation, and environmental degradation, or a combination of these, unable to lift a finger to save themselves. What is their future? Ken Sarawiwa understood the power he had to shift what he could not stand. And with the collective action of other Mosop activists and the larger Ogoni community, he did. He sacrificed his life in service of extending the life of his people. Even in his last breaths before he was executed, he recognized that he was one voice in a movement of thousands, millions even, Lord, take my soul, he said. But the struggle continues. Not Past It is a Spotify original, produced by Gimlet and ZSP Media. This episode was produced by Sarah Craig. Next week, we bust some Thanksgiving myths.
Before this day is over, every Indian brother, every sympathizer will go back to their homes with a different thought about what Thanksgiving Day means to the Native American. The rest of our team is producer Amy Padula. Our associate producers are Julie Carley and Ramoy Phillip. The supervising producer is Erica Morrison. Editing by Maura Waltz, Andrea B. Scott, and Zach Stewart Pontier. Benga Akinabe played Ken Sarawiwa in our recreations. He was recorded by Sam Baer at Relic Room. Fact checking by Jane Ackerman. Sound design and mixing by Hansdale Shee. Original music by Sax Kicks Ave, Willie Green, Jay Bless, and Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Toko Liana by Coco Co. With music supervision by Liz Fulton, technical direction by Zach Schmidt, show art by Elise Harvin and Talia Rockman. The executive producer at ZSP Media is Zach Stuart Pontier. The executive producer from Gimlet is Abby Ruzica. Special thanks to Ida Corley, Brenda Flora, Sola Adeyemi, Helen Fallon, Sydney Rudman, and Lydia Polgreen, Dan Behar and Clara Sankey, Emily Wiedemann, Liz Stiles, and Nabil Cholampad. Follow Not Past It Now to listen for free, exclusively on Spotify. Click the little bell next to the follow button to get notifications for new episodes. You can follow me on Twitter, at Simone Polanin. Thanks for hanging. We'll see you next week. Give us thy wisdom and thy strength. Glorious Ogoniland. This is as good as it gets. <laughs> <laughs>